Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer. Some people don't like the term, but I think, like many other words, it's all in how you say it. My umbrella business is Boom with a Bang, and I think we should keep that in mind as much as possible. We Boomer women don't have a lot of role models as we traverse this chapter. So the goal of this podcast is to introduce you to guests who might incentivize, encourage, teach you to embrace your wisdom, our wisdom. With this incarnation of the Boomer Woman's Podcast, I'm interviewing people who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at boomwithabang.com. If you want to be a guest on podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, message me. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value, we know how to do it, and we must perpetuate the art form. So let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I'm still saying that carefully as this new branding isn't rolling off the tongue yet. We used to be two Boomer women, but Boomer 2 moved on a long time ago. And over the last two years, I've chatted with Boomer women, Boomer men, other generations of both women and men. It was time to rename, and here we are, a new year, and we're the podcast for Boomer women, officially the Boomer Woman's Podcast. Today's guest has his own podcast called Inspired Money, which is cool. But he has another story that interested me. Many of we mid-agers are looking at our next act, but maybe feeling a little apprehensive about changing lanes, trying something new, especially in front of others. Andy started playing acoustic guitar at home, but put him in front of other people, and he had dreadful stage fright. That was then, and this is now. How does the Kennedy Center in D.C. and playing guitar for Christy Brinkley sound in terms of overcoming stage fright? I'm looking forward to this story. Andy Wang, welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. Thank you so much, Agnes. Uh, It's my pleasure since I'm neither a woman nor a boomer. There you go. (laughs) Um, Now, I don't want to discount your financial talents. Tell us about the professional Andrew Wang, please. Okay, sure. I... I'm a financial advisor by occupation and have been doing that for almost 25 years. For me, it's a family business. Uh, I I am part owner of Running Mead Capital Management, founded by my father, and I work with my brother, Chris. So it's like the old days when you had father and sons, you know, it's like Johnson and sons, (laughs) painters or hardware. Um, you know, Wong, father and sons, we we all have uh, backgrounds in research and portfolio management. So we work with clients to help do retirement planning and managing their investment portfolios uh, aligned with their objectives so that they can so that clients can enjoy their retirement. OK, I did hear one thing there, and this is the first time in probably a year that I didn't clarify how we pronounce your name. Oh, Andy Wong. Wong. Okay. Cause I use the, the hard a. And that's I okay too, because I go by both and I even, my kids joke because you know, they, they experience it too. We say Wang when we don't want to spell it. <laughs> okay. In Chinese, there's not, yeah, the, the a sound is, it gets confusing because, uh, I guess if you go back to when our families originally came to the United States, our name was a Chinese character, not written, you know, yeah. uh, it wasn't Romanized. So A-N-G, H-U-A-N-G, W-O-N-G could possibly be the same last name. Now, listeners have gotten information that they didn't really intend to even hear. <laughs> no, that's great, though. It's really interesting because we so often, and I mean, even in anglicization, just to go with this for a second, um, I have, I usually clarify because I've had a few names that were really obvious Anglo names, and that's not how they were pronounced. So <laughs> I have Italian friends who pronounce their name, and 
I did take one year of Italian in college and I just laugh inside. I say, I think they're mispronouncing their own name, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, I so see you're multi-talented. That's great. Andy, when I reached out to you, I mentioned that your personal story would hit home with my mid-age audience. Tell us about playing acoustic guitar. Now, now why guitar? Was that easy for you to learn? I mean, some people have great difficulty and push through. And why was playing in public a thing for you? Well, I think I've always had interest in music. I haven't been very successful in learning to read music. I took piano lessons for, gosh, over five years as a kid. And I fooled my teacher for five years that I couldn't really read music very well. I could fall back on relying on my ear, listening, and then being able to copy. So I'm just good at faking it. I don't really know what I'm doing. That's what I tell people. And when I was in high school, you know, I, maybe it goes back to like MTV came out and VH, VH1 came out. Like I got cable TV in my household. We didn't have cable for a very long time. In high school, we got cable. So I was watching these music videos and there was something about the guitar that just really interested me. And I think it was um, right after high school graduation. It was the summer between high school and going off to college. And I, I was just having a conversation with my dad. And I must have mentioned that, oh, you know, I really would be interested in learning guitar. And his answer was, if you want to do it, if you want to learn, you should just go do it. Like, don't talk about it. Why are you telling me about this? <laughs> if you want to learn, go take some lessons or go seek somebody out and just go do it. Because that was his advice. He's like, why, why are you talking about it? Just go do it. So I took my dad's advice. I took like four or five guitar lessons before heading off to college and just learned a few chords. Like in those four to five lessons, I think I learned six to eight chords on the guitar. And the beautiful thing about the guitar and pop music, like Beatles or anything, most of the stuff you hear on the radio, it's like three or four chords. So you learn like six to eight chords and you can play a lot of songs. Um, and not have to read music. You just play the chords and you listen and you can get by. So I just had fun with that. Going off to college, I there were other guys that I lived in my dormitory who also played music. We ended up forming this kind of punk band, which was not the type of mis that was not the type of music I was listening to. But it was at that point where there was a battle of the bands. And my friends decided, oh, let's let's throw our hat into the ring. And they said, no pressure. Our goal is not to be the winner of the battle of the bands. We will go in with the goal of being the wieners. <laughs> and I think that was because, you know, none of us were like fantastic at our instruments. I had only been playing guitar for like two months. <laughs> <laughs> But this was great, right? Because it's like, that was not going to stop us. We were just there to have fun. And that's what we, that's what all my buddies meant by we're going to be the wieners, not the winners. We're just going to go enjoy ourselves and not care what the judges say. But I did notice that when I got up on stage, I was pretty nervous. I think that um, playing in my dorm room was fine. And then years later, after graduating playing Hawaiian music, which I really fell in love with Hawaiian music. My wife was born and raised in Hawaii. And through visiting her and her family, I, I was I became exposed to Hawaiian culture, Hawaiian music. And I just I love this folk style of guitar and I wanted to learn it. But I would do great sitting on sitting in my living room playing for myself. But if I had to play in front of people, my hands would shake, my heart would race. It it was, yeah, it, it's bad. Like I'd feel sick to my stomach and um, it was not fun. 
Could you play in front of your wife? Interesting. Yes. I think I could play in front of my wife. But um, it's funny when you're learning an instrument, they say that you should don't play in front of your spouse because you have to play the same song over and over and over again. And you're going to make your family like not enjoy your music. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I asked is in 17 years of marriage, um, my former husband, I think I caught him off guard one time and I heard him playing. He wouldn't play in front of me. And I will go back to the Beatles, et cetera, in high school. I picked up a guitar. I learned one chord and I played just about an entire Beatles song. <laughs> there you go. That's why it's fun, right? And oh, um, Hawaiian yeah. music has the ukulele, the ukulele. And that's just such a happy instrument and super portable and little kids can play it. Adults can play it. Uh, so, you know, sometimes I play that and it's a lot of fun too. So, so why did you want to play in public? I didn't want to play in public, especially just given how it made me feel. It's, it's not dissimilar to when I drink alcohol. A lot of Asians lack an enzyme in processing alcohol. Alcohol doesn't make me feel very good. So I, I don't really drink. That's kind of how I felt about <laughs> playing music in front of people too, because I'm looking at like the, I'm looking at the way my body's reacting and it didn't feel good. So that was not encouraging me to go play in front of people. What happened was so few people play Hawaiian music. Like I graduated from punk in college to instantly, <laughs> I felt like I, I graduated to middle-aged, being middle-aged <laughs> immediately because I was living in an apartment with my wife, with my now wife in Boston. And it's not conducive to plugging in an electric guitar into an amplifier when you're in an apartment. Like your neighbors do not appreciate that. And also, I think that um, when you're playing by yourself, acoustic guitar was just more relaxing and more fun. And I ended up starting to get invited to play at different events because there were not a lot of Hawaiian musicians on the East Coast. So when people found out, oh, you play Hawaiian music, can you play at my wedding? It started with my cousin's wedding because um, he said, we're looking for entertainment for our cocktail hour. Will you play music? And I wasn't going to turn that down, even though I knew that I wasn't going to really enjoy it. I would say that it's a gradual move in that cocktail music's great because people are focused on chatting with whoever they're with and enjoying cocktails. They're not really listening to you. So some of the pressure is off. Another event, what happened was that a very good friend of mine who I played Hawaiian music with for about five years when he was in the New York area. He's from Hawaii. He's a much better musician than me. So that's another tip. If you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna do something that scares you, do it with somebody who's better than you because that person provides a very, very good crutch of support. <laughs> I could be panicked out of my mind, but my buddy Darren was such a great musician that Maybe people, I could hide behind him a little bit. So it really came down to, I unexpectedly was finding myself being invited to perform. Um, like I said, somebody's wedding, which still blows my mind that somebody would invite me into something that's so like intimate and like such a moment, a momentous event in their life, right? It's like, getting married, buying a house, uh, having children. For someone to invite me to be a part of their wedding celebration, I, I feel like, how can I turn that down? It, it's, it's such an honor, and I guess I put pressure on myself. I don't want to ruin their wedding. I would get very, very, very <laughs> nervous sometimes, even performing a cocktail hour when people are not paying attention to you. Um, over time, that 
that kind of morphed into, oh, well, you also, since you're there, will you also perform a song during the ceremony? Now, that was scarier. And I did that. Sometimes I made mistakes. Learned that you make a mistake and you just keep going. <laughs> Most people don't no notice. But yeah, it, it was crazy because the level of uh, stage fright that I had Hawaiian guitar is a lot of finger style. I'm not strumming with a pick, just to give you some technical background. I'm I'm picking with my fingers, kind of like flamenco style guitar. And when you're handshaking, you really can't do it very well. I was that was gonna be one of my next questions is whether that inhibited your Oh, ability. it makes it sound bad. You're flubbing the notes and you're not getting a clean sound. Uh it's not good which, you know, has a potential to snowball because once you start making bad sounds, you get more nervous. But the the happy ending is that the more you do it, no matter how scared you get, it does get better. Picturing the audience naked does not work, by the way. <laughs> but repetition and I guess having the idea that you're there to share your music with a group of people who want to see they want to see you succeed you're there to share something you're you're there to share a gift with the audience you're not there to be scared and panicked um that and repetition helped a lot what what sort of time frame did you look at for being mostly comfortable playing in front of people uh i would say that Probably it took four or five years where I started feeling not as nervous, but it was hit or miss. Sometimes I think if I started overthinking, the nerves would kind of kick in, even though I knew like, oh, I have experience and I shouldn't be scared. And other times I'd play and, you know, finish and say, wow, I, I really didn't feel the nerves that time. That was impressive. Now it's like, Oh my gosh, it's like 15 years in and I might still get a little nervous, but I think that I have a control over it where it's not too bad. I don't find myself so panicked that it is impeding the performance. You know, never say never, but um, I was giving my son some advice this past weekend because my son plays cello and he's he's 12 years old. He had to play this short solo within a piece he's in an orchestra and he was very nervous i told him that the trick is you're nervous because you care but you you're trying to walk this fine line of caring but not caring too much so i'm like in your mind you you have to keep telling yourself it's like i don't care i don't care that much <laughs> but at the same time you have to care enough that you prepared and you practiced and you are going to you know put the best effort into the performance. But I think once you've done the preparation, there is a level of letting go and saying, I don't care that much because then you're not going to self-sabotage yourself. Did you ever talk yourself out of a performance? Like, oh, this is just too big or too major or too important or something? No, I was, I don't know what it is. Maybe I just like the challenge more than being you know, so fearful that I didn't want to do it. There's a quote from the comedian Tina Fey, the fun is always on the other side of yes. And I love that <laughs> phrase. So that's why when I do get invited or I'm asked to perform, some, you know, sometimes people are paying me to perform. Most of the time I'm saying yes, because I want to try. I don't remember what year it was. This is many years ago, pretty early when I, when I would really get panicked. Um, there's a there's a there's a Hawaiian group called the Makaha Sons, and they were performing in New Hampshire. And the promoter of the show called me. I'm in New Jersey. He said, "I'm I'm I'm bringing the Makaha Sons to New Hampshire to my town to perform. There's going to be a concert. I found your website. Would you come to New Hampshire and be the opening act?" And I said, "Sure." I was really scared before having to go out on stage <laughs> because I'm going out as a solo musician. Um, it's just me and my guitar. And 
the Makaha Sons, I look up to. It's this trio, like legendary trio from Hawaii. And um, yeah, I think the the size of the occasion scared me. I just remembered before going out on stage, being backstage and just trying to like play a little bit. And at that moment, I felt like my fingers are okay. I wasn't shaking too badly. I'm like, the instrumental I'll be okay with. But my breath, like, <laughs> I felt like I was going to hyperventilate. I'm like, I'm not sure if I can sing right now. And I was kind of singing and trying to see if air would come out. And I'm like, it doesn't sound great, but it's coming out. So I just have to just keep <laughs> keep pushing, keep pushing. I think my performance was okay. It wasn't fantastic. But I've had many teachers from Hawaii. Uh, this is a folk tradition that because of the Hawaiian people, not dissimilar from Native Americans or First Nation, you know, indigenous cultures, they lost so much of their land and their culture. This style of guitar almost went extinct, too, because there was a period of time where those who knew how to play just weren't playing it, weren't sharing it publicly. And then um, in the 1970s, there's there was a cultural re renaissance in Hawaii. So I'm very fortunate to be in a time where those who are like masters of this art are very willing to teach outsiders because they want to perpetuate this style of Hawaiian slack key guitar. And I've had teachers that have welcomed me to their homes and taken me under their wing. And um, one in particular, George Kahumoku Jr., he's a five-time Grammy winner, he gave me great advice. He said, if you get nervous on stage by yourself, he's like, you shouldn't get nervous because I'm right up there with you and all my teachers are up there with you. We're all there to support you. So you're never by yourself. And um, that thought still I carry with me. That, that's great. Yeah, because, you know, all the wisdom of all those people uh, it's entered somehow, somewhere. It just has right. to translate onto the onto the uh, fingers. That's great. <laughs> okay, so the obvious question is here: You go from butterflies at your cousin's wedding to the Kennedy Center. <laughs> That's a leap. H how did you get the Kennedy Center? Or was I your just, your brother your cousin's wedding at the Kennedy Center? <laughs> no, no, it, I just kept saying yes. It's just a series of like it, there's a progression that I find myself playing at people's weddings or a corporate event, and then there is a hula group in the New York area. Their hula teacher is actually in Honolulu, but this is wild because hula is this very ancient tradition, right? It's an indigenous style of dance used to really portray stories and interpret chants and the history, like early history of Hawaiian people, the legends, the mythology. And the crazy part is that they're teaching this ancient style of dance and this uh, cultural practice, but they use distance learning. It's like they use Zoom because the teacher can be in Hawaii and all the students are in New York and they're learning using technology. I love it. <laughs> Through that association, because they wanted musicians in the New York area and there aren't that many of us. So three of three of us, uh, there are three of us who play music for this hula halau or hula school in this hula school. The teacher in Honolulu is very well respected. You know, she's she is a figure in the Hawaiian uh, community. And um, there are times when they have performed at some pretty impressive venues. That includes Kennedy Center, Jacob's Pillow in Massachusetts. We did a little a little tour. And um, I would say that that was scary. But. I'm backing up dancers, so I'm kind of hiding in the back. But yeah, it, it was crazy to invite some friends and family who 
are in the DC area telling them that oh, I'm going to be playing guitar for this group or performing. And um, they came out to see us. Uh, just crazy adventures. Yeah. Really unbelievable adventures over the but, years. But what I'm also hearing is, is your great respect for a tradition and the history. And it becomes important to you to do a good job for, for that. It's not about you anymore. It's about the, the tradition and the history of, of what you're playing. It's pretty cr- crazy because, um, right. I'm a Chinese American who grew up on the East coast. I did not grow up in Hawaii. It's my wife who grew up in Hawaii. I married into this and it, probably two years ago, there was a hula practice in New York city at a dance studio. The hula teacher comes out to New York from Hawaii maybe two, three times a year. And she was there teaching. And she told us, she said, whether you like it or not, you guys are cultural practitioners. And you have a responsibility for representing a culture and to represent this culture, you know, with respect and to and to do it accurately. Because, um, you know, there are many examples of Hollywood not representing the culture really accurately. So, so I do, I try my best. I try my best. Okay. Just before, before I move on, just tell me the Christy Brinkley story. Tell us. Christy Brinkley. (laughs) Yeah, that, that's another, that's a crazy one. Um, I was driving to work one day and my cell phone rang. I didn't recognize the number. Plus I was driving and Right. When we see a number that we don't recognize, what are the chances you're going to answer? For some reason, I was curious and I answered. And um, the person on the other end of the phone said, oh, this is so and so. I'm calling from Christy Brinkley's office and I found your website. Do you play Hawaiian music? I said, yes. And they said, well, we're uh, Christy is dedicating a tree out in Long Island in the memory of her parents and we're wondering if you can come out to play Hawaiian music for her and her family and close friends as they do this dedication. It'll just be a very small event. Um, you know, 10 to 15 people will be there. And can you come out? Of course, I said yes. <laughs> of course you did. That's great. <laughs> Drove out there. Um, I would say Christy Brinkley. My, I mean, I grew up seeing Christy Brinkley on the cover of Sports Illustrated you know, swimsuit issue. And my brother is a huge Billy Joel fan. So we know Uptown Girl. And I watched Vacation, right, with Chevy Chase, like Christy Brinkley was the, you know, it's just like, like I have all these like memories of Christy Brinkley is like this pop icon to me, you know, a huge, like one of the original supermodels. Uh, so yeah, it, it was, it was really, really uh, cool to meet her and to, again, be part of this very intimate family event that was meaningful to her and her family. Her her stepfather lived in California. He was like a, I think he was a producer of TV shows or a writer. And um, she grew up going to Hawaii frequently because her stepdad split time between Hawaii and I think Beverly Hills. So for me to bring a piece of Hawaii to their family event was really special. And she was just super nice. I, I showed up to this park where they had just planted the tree that morning. And Christy arrived in her car. First thing she did was to come over to me. She's very approachable, very friendly, and uh, came up to me and said, we really appreciate you being here. And, you know, I just got to play some music while they shared some stories around this tree. And um, after they were done, this is just like a 20, 30 minute event. She said, we're going to go have dinner across the street at an Italian restaurant. Do you want to join us? So I got to join the Brinkley family and friends for dinner. Uh, Alexa Ray Joel was there and her, she has three children. It was really cool. Very, very cool. So when you write your memoir, it's going to be Andy Wang or Wong, sorry, um, my life of saying yes. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, this 
the idea of all these things happening are like unbelievable because I can truly say that when I was trying to learn this music and it took me a long time, I would try to buy books. I would buy, I have VHS tapes of like how to learn slacky guitar, then, it, then graduated to DVDs. You know, I spent many years just sitting in my house, just trying to practice and learn like one song. And then eventually, you know, met different musicians and they would teach me something. I would go to workshops, they'd teach me something. But I had no vision or plan to go outside in my living room. I was perfectly content just sitting inside and playing for myself. I mean, it was, this is music that I enjoy listening to and I get enjoyment from playing. It was, it's just been this progression where being able to play, having a respect for the art and the culture and to try to share that with other people, it's really opened my eyes to, you know, the music isn't just for me. It's something that can be shared with others. And I love that music is this universal language, right? I don't know if you watch... um Oh, shoot. What's it called? It's called uh, something like Music for Change, something like that. I'm going to get the um, name wrong. But there, there's a YouTube channel where they just record musicians from all over the world. And it started with this one street musician in California, like Santa Monica, I think, singing Stand By Me. And they recorded this one street musician but this filmmaker then traveled around the world having other musicians like in Africa, okay, in Europe, all playing with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it just it just shows that music, it, it, it crosses like, um, you know, language barrier and brings us together. Like we no matter where you grew up or what culture you're from there's this commonality that we can communicate with music. Music moves us. It means something to us. And for musicians to kind of speak musically, <laughs> not using language, kind of, it, it kind of brings us, it, well, it brings us together and, um, you know, shines a light on our commonalities rather than our differences. Well, and I've had a career in elder care. So it, I can tell a billion stories about how music has reached someone that a person cannot reach. So yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've even been invited to, you know, play music to somebody who is, who is dying. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that I can play a song and brought a hula dancer with me in their apartment in New York and, um, you know, just brought somebody some comfort in sort of a painful and difficult time. Yeah, so many, so many things that I, I, I'm constantly telling my or asking myself, what am I doing here? But I'm here. Because <laughs> you said yes. <laughs> That's great. Because I said yes. So you grew up in the financial business world. Um, you went into that same world where you're talking to mostly strangers or they start out as strangers. Were you always really confident there as opposed to your music life? Like they're the same, only different. I feel like I'm not confident anywhere. It doesn't matter if it's finance, music, like imposter syndrome is a real thing. And I'm constantly trying to tell myself that as long as I'm just like two steps ahead of somebody, no, that's true. Yeah, I could teach them something. Yeah, I, I think that playing the music makes me a better financial advisor. Um, it just helps me to realize that if you stick to a process and you do that with consistency and have a growth mindset, that you're going to improve. And that over time, you have something worth sharing. And I think that 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 applies to money management, that applies to music, that applies to anything that somebody wants to learn. You know, I think one of the interesting things, since we're not focusing too much on the finance, like finances today, 
But I think that retirement, the act of retiring, it is a transition. And so many of us closely tie our identity with our job and our company and what we do for a living. It's just, it's a big adjustment to no longer be working. So if I tie together like my hobby with my job, there's often a need for people who are retiring. Like you do need to ask yourself, what do you love to do? What purpose can you serve in your community? What are your values? And then how can your actions and activities align with what matters to you? Because I've had clients who were able to retire early. I've talked to people who retired as young as 27 because they sold their business to a Fortune 500 company. And they tried to play golf every day and go fishing every day. And found that they weren't happy. It just was not fulfilling. So I think that there's an important lesson there, uh, you know, to, to really take time to sit down and think, you know, what are the things that matter to you? And are you, are you doing things that are meaningful to you? You know, money is one thing, but money is a tool. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You need to figure out you know, are you being intentional? Are you doing something meaningful? Purpose matters um, because we we see there are many billionaires who are not happy, and so it's not it's it's more than just money. I think too, you glossed over it, but it is so true that so many people say, "Oh, I I, I could never share that. I could never teach that." But seriously, if you are two steps ahead of someone else, you have something. To teach them and yeah and and I don't, I don't know if you can be secure in that knowledge but at least keep it front of mind in, in terms of of sharing that and getting in front of people and and saying you know like and and I guess you have, just have to be honest and say you know I can't answer that question but if you've got some knowledge some expertise you can still find the answer probably I think we live in an incredible time because of the technology that is available to us. Like you look at yourself, you have a podcast. Like people can start a podcast. They can start writing a newsletter. They can just be on social media and be helping people or reaching people. Like the ability to reach a much bigger audience than in your neighborhood, the potential is there. And I just see many people, young and old, I think everybody has something to teach. And I read recently, the advice was that, you know, just think about yourself two years ago, like where you were in trying to learn something. And this goes back to the, if you're just two steps ahead, like talk to the two, like talk to yourself two years ago, you're able to teach something that you've become better at. And, you know, whether or not you want to monetize that, that's another question. I think that there's a potential to monetize that if you need to, or you can just be doing it because it makes you feel good. But there is a potential to, um, you know, talk to your, I guess, yourself two years prior. And um, there are going to be a lot of people in that position or in that, you know, time frame that you can help to make a difference for them. Give them some shortcuts. My next question was going to be, do you, do you have any advice for our mid-age audience um, in terms of teaching a new skill or going into a new career? But I think you just did that. Like, that's amazing when you like talk to yourself to, from two years ago. And boy, most of us, and especially, you know, we're talking as we're coming out of this pandemic. So many of us have learned so many new skills in the last couple of years. We were forced to, right? Yeah, well, we're... exactly. But, you know, and even if you weren't forced to, it it, uh, it was a matter of survival. And, and I guess that is being forced to. But, uh, yeah, just to be able to keep on going, keep on saying yes. Keep saying yes. You don't know <laughs> anything can happen. <laughs> exactly. I was going to ask you also, you know, whether there's a point in time where, you know, a person should get professional help to learn how to be a public speaker or play in public or whatever. But I think you you covered off that with because you found teachers and 
you know, I, I love that advice of, you know, your teacher is there with you and their teachers are there with you. Yeah, I think it it helps. Having having teachers are going to uh, make the process, I think generally are going to make the process move a little bit quicker. Um, several years ago, I got to perform as part of the Hawaiian Slack Key guitar tour on the East Coast. Um, that was in New Jersey, New York, and in Virginia. And again, I was totally asking myself, what am I doing here? Because there were two guys from New Jersey and four performers from Hawaii. These guys are masters who like are full-time musicians. I'm not. And I really was questioning, should I be here? But I, I, I think that there was one guy on that tour who was the best musician of any of us. He always played last. He closed the show. Like everybody, the Slack Key um, Festival, you know, five, six performers, you play 15 minutes, each person plays 15 minutes, and then everybody comes out on at the end. This one guy, LT, he got 20 minutes. Everybody got 15, he got 20. He always went last because he was, he was just a monster musician and a great performer. He could tell stories. He had the chops. He'd just play a song and, you know, the audience, he has the audience's attention 100%. And the funny thing was that he would say from stage, he was actually from New Zealand. He's currently living in Hawaii. He plays a lot of Hawaiian music. And um, he, he'd say that, you know, I didn't study with Hawaiian masters like many of the others. My master was YouTube. <laughs> He's like, I watched all the YouTube videos and learned. I learned to play guitar by watching all these teachers on YouTube. And um, I think that it helps to have somebody who's teaching you. But you can learn from books or even YouTube. It's possible. So, yeah, there are just many resources. Um, having a teacher is going to help, but it's not essential. That's great. Now you've said on a couple of occasions today, I, somebody saw your website. Do you have a music website as well as your financial website? I do have a music website. It's andywongmusic.com. And I'm not very good at updating it, but yes, it's there. Okay, that's great. We will put that in the show notes for sure, because I was going to ask you to, um, in case somebody's curious now about uh, Andy Wong, the, the financial advisor, they find you on the World Wide Web. Uh, that address is? That address is runnyme.com, R-U-N-N-Y-M-E-D-E.com, which is hard to remember. Go to inspiredmoney.fm. That will take you there, and that's easier. Okay, and you're all over social media from a financial angle, do you have a social media uh, with your music? Not so much. You know, I would love to, but I found that the reality is that time is finite. I can't, I don't have time <laughs> to do it all. And uh, yeah, I haven't hired people to like manage a like social media websites for music. So yeah, it for me, you get what you get. And um I'm answering, right? I'm answering my own tweets. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, if you find me on social, I'm actually writing to people. So you get me. There's a <laughs> sacrifice, actually, but I'm, you get me. I actually made a comment on, I can't re even remember now, this is embarrassing, but on a famous person's post. And I got a response right away. So I went to my own profile at Facebook and said, isn't it interesting that you know, like even the famous people have enough people to answer promptly. And like within like 10 minutes, I had a response on my own page saying, um, I don't actually have people. That was me responding. And it was the other wow. famous person. So it's like, holy crikey. <laughs> <laughs> that is cool. So, so that's great. Is there a question I haven't asked you, the musician? Question you haven't asked me. Overcoming I, stage fright and just pushing through and saying yes. My favorite thing is to tell people to get outside of your comfort zone. Um, it's hard to do. Like, it's so much easier just to 
do what's comfortable. And for me, that would just be to stay at home. And part of me still wants to do that, right? Like, I am pretty happy just sitting at home. But we've seen with like blue zones and longevity, we're social creatures. And we need to be engaged with people and to talk to people in our community. Um, so many of these blue zone areas where people live like, you know, to 100, it's proven that being close to family and community has a positive impact on longevity. And you probably saw, I, I saw a New York Times article recently. It, it talked about Gen X and boomers as they age more people are living alone um, than ever before. I think the number was 26 million Americans, 50 and older, now live alone. And that's up from 15 million in the year 2000. So it just seems that the trend has been that people are living alone more. So I just encourage people to get out of your house. Sometimes, um, you know, you have to push yourself because, uh, and I'm talking to myself right now too. (laughs) But, you know, when I get invited to play and I say yes, it forces me to do it. And um, just time after time, I I meet people that I would not have met otherwise and just keep saying yes and keep pushing yourself. Get out of your comfort zone because that is where the magic happens. So, yeah, I think that's just a really good way to uh, sum it all up is is say yes. You you just don't know. You're going to have more good experiences than, uh, than negative ones, I'm sure. One last question before we close. What is GameStop? What is GameStop? See, I do my research. I look around. I read things. <laughs> the stores and the meme stock? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I just okay. saw GameStop. All right. So about a year ago, GameStop is a retailer, retail store, where if you like video games, you would go there and buy your video games or video game consoles. And investors were pretty much writing off GameStop to be the next blockbuster because the idea is that games are like accessible over the internet or streaming. You don't need DVDs anymore. And therefore GameStop, the store was going to go extinct. I took a look at this and I said, it might go extinct, but it seemed like its demise was sort of premature in looking at the stock price, which was valued at about $20 at the time. And the reason why I looked at it, I'm getting, you really have time for a long story? Sure, let's go for it. (laughs) Okay. During the pandemic, my brother and I, we had invested some client assets into Chewy, Chewy being the online like pet food supply. And um, it was a great pandemic stock because people were getting pets. It's like the Amazon of pet food. We didn't realize that Amazon is not as strong in pet food and pet supply. So Chewy was like the premier book brand. Founded by a pretty young guy, Ryan Cohen. Ryan Cohen ended up, you know, leaving Chewy. And he started investing in GameStop. Like he bought a 12 to 14% position in GameStop. And we were wondering, what does Ryan Cohen see in GameStop? So we took a look and we said, well, there were two game consoles that were that had come out. And historically, whenever new game consoles came out, it drove traffic to the stores. Revenues would go up. And when we looked at Wall Street's estimates, we're like, it doesn't look like they're giving any credit for these new game consoles. Like, even if there's a little bit of uptick in earnings and revenue, seems like the stock should go up. So we bought some. We didn't know that it was going to become a meme stock that investors in different chat rooms online were just going to, like, talk up and buy, irregardless of company fundamentals or what was going on. So we bought some GameStop for our clients. The stock went from $20 to over 350. I don't remember what the highest price was, but we sold GameStop and we I've never seen anything like that in my career. Uh, I just laughed that sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. I think that our research was good. We just didn't know that the internet during a pandemic, all these people who are at home trading 
we're going to, uh, you know, go into a, an online chat room and say, all right, we're going to buy GameStop and just bid the stock price up to practically infinity, <laughs> briefly. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So a combination of being smart and, and then getting lucky. That's good. Lucky and smart is good. Yeah. And uh, now we'll see what happens to GameStop. We don't know. <laughs> well, people are going to be uh, watching it now, and I'll go tell my son-in-law to get on board. <laughs> I'll say for the record, I do not own GameStop anymore, but I'm watching it just to see. I don't know if it will actually transition into a, you know, a, a different type of company. I think there's potential there, but uh, with sort of crypto, the with cryptocurrencies crashing and NFT sort of going out of favor for now, there, you know, the chat, it, the company has its challenges, but we'll see what happens. Okay. I'm watching. <laughs> and I'll put a, like a, a little rider in there that that was a five minute story. Do not go out and invest and then tell everybody that Andy told you to. Yeah. It's not a recommendation. <laughs> it's not a, uh, it's not a high quality, you know, steady growth name. It, it's <laughs> definitely more speculative. Okay. And on that note, I've got a feeling there's going to be a lot of links in the show notes this time. Um, and listeners, you know that uh, the links are in the show notes on the podcast platforms and under Andy's bio at the bottom of the page if you're at the website. If Thank you, you have, Agnes. <laughs> if you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. Leave comments where you're listening. Or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Leave stars and reviews where you can. They help us grow. For early access of upcoming episodes, there's a sign-up under this conversation at Boom With a Bang. Now, I remember the paces I had to put myself through when I first started talking publicly. So many boomers are looking at doing something different, public-facing, or maybe missing opportunities because of their stage fright. So share this episode with those people in your life, no matter what age they are. Andy Wong, thank you so much for sharing your fears and how you mostly overcame them with us today. Thank you so much. And if you're listening, please share this with a friend because uh, running a podcast is not easy. And Agnes works so hard to put together a really great show. So share it. Thank you. Um, good. Have a great rest of the week, Andy. Thank you. You too.